a philosophy of training like you want to compete. He looked at me one day in his senior year and was like, wait, every time in practice when I raise my hand, you want me to, to approach that routine like it was a meet? And I was like, yes, Andrew, for the fourth year in a row, that's exactly our standard. <laughs> and he looked at me finally with true sincerity and kind of looked at my and goes, that's really hard. And I was like, I think you finally get it because it absolutely is. And before everyone just nodded their head and went and just went back to practice. And so it was like in that moment, he finally got it and was like, holy hell, this, that's really hard to do. And I was like, well, winning a national championship is really hard to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Shift Show, where my number one goal is to give you tools, ideas, and the latest science stuff you change gymnast lives. Today on the podcast, super stoked to have on Justin Spring, who many may know now and working at Alabama Women's Gymnastics, but actually has a pretty epic career from being an Olympian, training himself, being on the uh, Illinois head coaching position for the men's team. Just a really cool journey across the whole, uh, you know, the whole spectrum of his career. And wanted to have Justin on because I think obviously there's so much to be learned from someone who was at a very high level himself as an athlete, kind of had his, his hand in men's gymnastics and is now kind of transitioning into women's gymnastics. I wanted to learn all the things about what he has learned across those three kind of chapters of his life and, you know, what lessons coaches can pull out, whether it's culturally, whether it's educational, whether it's, you know, changes he's made to his career and things that he's kind of harvested out from the, the, the long career of success he's had. And obviously wanted to pick his brain about, you know, the movement Alabama and what's exciting for them and what they're doing and what they're changing, just because I feel like there's so much information that we can learn from people's experiences here. And it really makes a huge difference on the entire sport when we just harvest out some of these great people who have awesome lessons. So uh, super great episode. Love talking about it. Justin, super down to earth, very casual, very fun conversation, high energy, uh, doing a lot of great things now with Alabama. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, just do me a huge favor, just rate and review on Spotify and or iTunes. And also please just go ahead and share across any platform that you have. So whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, tag us, whatever, tag us in Bama. I'd love to just get the information out because the more people hear about the episode, the more people who are going to enjoy the episode. So hope you all enjoy this wonderful episode with Justin. Justin, my man, how are you? I'm great. Welcome back to the podcast. You had a sneaky guest appearance on a panel for men's gymnastics, but here you are back. I don't remember that. Okay. Me, Mike Burns, uh, Mark, like a bunch of us when like the, uh, I think one of Minnesota was on the chopping block and now we had like an emergency podcast, but here you are transformed. Podcast. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Like a state of the emergency. Please save us. Save us all. Uh, I'm sure you are near a little intense. I was, I I, know that Mark and I were probably on opposite ends of the spectrum and Mike is always floating somewhere in the middle, but was just so drowning in his emotions for lose, the, the program being on the chopping block. It was probably more of a therapy session for Mike than anything else. I was going to say, did we just sum it up in, in 10 seconds there? Yeah. Yeah. We tried our best, but it's still not working out. That's the summary of that podcast. Uh, but let's go not to negatives like that. So good to have you on, man. I think you're in a, you're in a new role and a new exciting stuff. And I'm a big I fan of, you know, role, I'm a yeah. big fan of college gymnastics. I'm a big fan of women's college gymnastics and I'm a big fan of doing whatever I can to help promote the sport. So yeah, I want to have you on because I think one people don't know you had a big life before you were coaching in Alabama. And I'd love to explore that and share with the <laughs> large, large audience of female watchers who know you were quite an athlete yourself. But then of course, want to pick your brain on, you know, what's going on now and what's exciting for you and stuff like that. If you're ready to dive in. Yeah. It's funny because I don't think my own team knows who I am. They know I went to the Olympics a long, long time ago. That's about it. Yeah. I, I actually was thinking about this less because we have a common friend, Dave Durani, obviously. And so we were talking a lot oh. a couple of days ago. And uh, I think, um, man, I remember growing up and watching like Dave and you and then John was like n- near me, Horton. And I remember like, please ex- explain if I'm wrong here, but two things happened when I was in high school that were madness. One is you did, I think you did a laid out triple double, right? Competing in Illinois. Was that true? Was that, was that accurate? Was that you or someone else? I did not lay it out tucked. 
Tuck. Okay. Yeah. Tuck. So I remember watching that with a couple of my friends and I was like, yeah, I don't want to do floor routines anymore. I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> right. And then I think I, maybe it was Jason fur. Did he do a quad pike? Someone did a quad pike into a what? pit and it was like, quad, quad I was there. I'm in the background of that. That's video. what it is. Yeah. And it like broke the internet. Right. Because we were like, dude, how can someone the like, grainy internet footage on like a potato film? Yeah. And we we're just like, dude, this is madness. This is yeah. absolute madness. So I think I remember that's the first time I was like, oh, it was Justin spring guys. No joke. And uh, if you can flash back to those days, man, I was, I was, I thought I was risk taking, but like, how the hell do you get to a point where you're doing triple doubles and like people are throwing crazy stuff like that? Like what happened in your career that got you to that level of adrenaline? I probably got to throw some, uh, some compliments to Carlos Vasquez. You know, I, mm. I think his coaching style really, really clicked with mine, mm. but then I think it clicked with all of ours. Like he was preparing guys for the next wave of gymnastics, which was this un, 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 uncapped code, right? Yeah. Open-ended code where it's like, some guys like me that didn't maybe necessarily have the refinement, the form could really just take off pun intended, right? Like we could just start open ending all the, all the skills. And so um, for me personally though, like, so he, so he fostered an environment that I was able to grow and, 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 and love that part of gymnastics. I grew mm. up, I grew up on trampoline. Um, but really I think everyone has different talents, right? And uh, my talent was, and I wish I could say I worked for this. I just, I didn't really have much fear. Like mm. somewhere I, I connected doing the crazy skills with being kind of a, kind of a badass. And yeah. I, and I wanted to be, a, I wanted to be cool. Right. You yeah. know, and in a sport of men's gymnastics, that's a tough combo, right? <laughs> being cool and, you know, so like, um, but I found there was a way you could be cool. You could throw the big crazy skills that a lot of other people were scared to throw. And then you got like, man, that's crazy. How do you do that? And you're, and you know, my, that was the praise I needed to be like, got it. So this is how I become cool in the sport of gymnastics. Yeah. Pushing you, that threshold was my thing. Yeah. Were you, were you in the Thomas era too of like, like whip top? Yeah. That's what I thought. Right. Dude, like that, that I think caps it for me of like, craziness my best friend did a whip tuck thomas and a laid out thomas and he actually like concussed himself really bad one time and i'm just like after watching that, i'm like bro this is not a good idea, <laughs> this is oh, not a good idea. my string bean legs man you know two <laughs> left landings i was like sign me up because i say i did a layout thomas at one yeah. point i did a layout thomas down the side as a side pass yeah he and did then, uh he did tuck thomas laid out thomas one and three and he just got like all the stupid bonus and then he did one and a half punch full rudy which was like 19 tenths of bonus i remember that code yeah that's great <laughs> that all so you have to land the damn thing you had to land two passes amazing, amazing. Dude, it was hilarious so we had intricate contraction is brutal yeah dude Those for real it was hilarious. We had like him who was just gaming the system, right? He did Thomas, yeah. Thomas, Thomas, whip, 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 and like one more dismount. And then we went to MIT when they had a program. And these dudes, we were like, yo, this is cheating. They would do a back layout, a front full, and then like Maltese press, wide arm press, swallow press through and get like E, E, E. And I'm like, dude, this yeah. is not fair. <laughs> this is not fair. Change the code. That was with Rifkin, right? Yeah. That coach back then. Man. Yeah. Throwbacks, right? What yeah. was the, uh, what was the, so what's crazier for you? Like, like triple doubles on floor or like back in the day, what was like, is there anything that you were like a little like gut pit nervousness for, or like you were pretty much good to go on everything? Um, any skills that like actually rattled your cage a little bit when you first tried them? I think the first time you have to put a skill like that on hard yeah, is, is a moment. I still remember the first time I had to put the triple double on a hard surface. Um, you know, at that point, um, only one other person had ever done that. It was the Rejong song and it was like mm. eight months earlier. Mm. So, um, it was kind of a big moment. Um, and then, um, probably the first time I ever had to put a, uh, my souk triple full or, or yeah. double full. Yeah. Um, 
on on hard. And because of our vault set up at Illinois, I never got a chance to do that in the comfort of my home gym. The first time I ever did it was on podium at Pan American Games in 2007. Oh, and I God. killed it, but I still have the video yeah. it really well. Yeah. Um, but that was a moment. It was just like podium training. And I was like, I, I guess we're going to do this now. Like, here we go. Like, all right. The absolute YOLO moment. Yeah. And speaking of iconic moments, I think the other thing I remember is like you have some insane shot of you doing a laid out half and half out on rings, right? Like at the Olympics. Is that something I'm like burned in my memory too? Is that you or someone else? Like this epic shot of either parallel bars or rings of like you, like a wide angle zoom. And I remember seeing that like cover around so the MySpace days, you know, when that was going around. I could be wrong here. Is that true? Am I wrong there? There might be a, there's a shoot at, that's on the wall at the Olympic training set. Ah, that might be it. That um, might be it. Of me on rings and everyone rips me apart like, that's like a no credit invert and your toes are like, I'm like, I'm, it's a, it's a dynamic skill. You jerks. I'm doing a shoot the hand. Like look, so, at the, look at the straps. I'm working hard for years. I came back as a coach and everyone was like, I got like nine off just, I'm like, I hate all of you. I'm like, stop it. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. So I think, I think the people in the gymnastics world in college need to know that like, man, you had a pretty crazy career, right? Obviously Olympics, stuff like that. And then worlds and stuff like that. And I feel like, did you always know you wanted to go back into coaching obviously to Illinois first? Like, was that always in your radar? Or was that like, nah, and then you came back? Like, what was the thought process there? It was a means to an end, honestly. Mm. It's it's funny though. I grew up my whole life saying that I wanted to be a teacher because I, I think mm. I always really valued my teachers as leaders and influencers in my life. Um, and coaching was a way to make that with a, with a salary that I could really support a family in college. Mm. So I was like, Oh my God, perfection. Um, but it really happened by accident. It was Illinois that create. We only had two coaches when I was graduating, they opened up the third coaching position for me mm. to keep me around. So I could tra continue training there for the Olympics. Right. I think that concept is crazy enough that people don't realize we're a team of volunteers, y'all like other <laughs> countries that kick our butt in some events, like all over the world, like at the Olympic mm. games, their full-time job paid for and supported by the government is to be the best at curling, taekwondo, yeah. gymnastics. For us, yep. I had a full-time job as an assistant yeah. coach while training for the Olympics. And we all did. Like, so that's it was a means to an end at that point. And I started to really love it. Um, and then came off and re one retirement later, and and then just the, the cards aligned. And I took I was able to take over the program basically mm. years after graduating. It was crazy. Yeah. And obviously like people like myself and others who did college gymnastics, I went to Springfield. Like we, I have so much respect and daps to you for like sticking it out and, and doing a program like that's hard. Like my, my time went from like 16 to 15 to 13 to 12. Right. And it was just like slowly watching, like, that's like a huge part of my life, man. Like my best friends are from college. I had the best times ever. And like, you yeah. feel like the sand slipping through your hands, right. When you're watching these programs go down, but a big shout out to you for continuing to stick it out. And I, we're still, we're still hanging there. I mean, Simpsons new, right. We got a couple new ones in D3 that are pretty sick. So yep. we're not, we're not, extinct <laughs> we're clawing around I hope it's not a dead cat balance i, I you know like i i, I it's uh, it, it's just a crazy climate in college athletics right it really now. is yeah um, yeah, yeah. And it, it's tough. It's tough because you obviously want to see guys have a channel to keep going, keep training. But to the backside of this, we'll get to it. But like NIL and like other ways of sponsorships actually gives me more hope than ever before that like guys can get some support to pay for their training or pay for supplements or pay for tape or pay for something that I do have a little bit more faith. I don't think leaning on the NCAA is the goal for men's gymnastics. I don't know if that's a great long-term solution, but there's an in-between at least that we could figure out something, you know. Yeah, and some Evo is the thing that's happened down in Florida has been super helpful. At least there's a funded position. Like, it's not enough, but it, it's something. It's a, it's it's a hurt small short term you, bridge. Yes. Um, and then, so Illinois for how many years? Forgive me if I'm wrong here, but 
Um, well, I started coaching in 09. Yeah. Um, head full, you know, the head coach until last year, 2022. So, yeah, cool. And so shout out to Jan Inver, by the way, who's a friend of ours that is mutual. Um, Love that guy. Jan, Jan, Jan might be one of my favorite humans that I've ever worked with before. That he's dude pretty, is, uh, he's, he's, he's a pretty unique, grounded, <laughs> solid individual. Yeah. That dude's gritty too, man. That dude's gritty. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so let's kind of start on just the Illinois stuff is like, so when coaching and doing stuff, like what were like the main takeaways or lessons that you were like drawn to coaching, but you like felt like you developed your coaching styles even more. Cause I feel like that'll lead into the conversation at Bama. Well, you know, I think that like anyone, I, I took what I'd known as I went through my own program and just kind of, that's what you start with. There's your, there's your template. And then as things went wrong or problems arose and I'm like, man, I hate, why are we having this conversation again? something needs to be put in place. There's a process that's missing. There's something that gone wrong. And I just, honestly, that's what I did. Yeah. Rapid fire, you know, my first year or two. Um, and I just, I reached out to anyone and everyone because I didn't have the answers. I read all the books I could, but in the end, like you really learn on the job. Um, mm. As I'm sure a lot of people will tell you, yeah. um, you know, we, we had a talented team and I was putting out fires. And then, so, you know, somewhere down the road started really putting together a philosophy and and realizing that I can't oh, I can't communicate that enough as far as on the front end of what expectations are and what they look like, mm. what supposed to be like, sound like, be like at any moment or specifically at very critical moments during practice. And so right. you start having those conversations and you start priming and prepping everyone. So now you're not a coach that's just yelling when you see stuff go wrong and you're putting right. out fires. It's the conversations are, hey, we've talked about this. This is way below the line of what we've set as our expectation to be great. Mm fix it or you're out of here. You know, like you're able to just be a lot more calm in your approach. Um, not to say that I'm calm, I'm a very high energy person, but I think the messages are better received when it's not the first time someone's hearing about it. Cause th there's nothing worse than being like, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Mm. You, know what, you know what I mean? Right. Um, right. And so really laying the platform and over communicating and to the point where almost two years ago, I finally, I was able to use a, uh, an app and put like, the phases and of, of every element of within my program. So like you, you could look at a year of my program as a snapshot, right? And cultural development, strength development, skill development, routine development, right. team development, interpersonal development, um, the recruiting timeline. And you go, so like, as you track through like a month, you know exactly where we're at and which phase of which category. And, and so it's just like, this is where we're at. And then you can dissect the details as you dive in deeper. But I think that's really important to know because now more than ever, everyone's got so much garbage going on in their life. And so to know yeah. exactly what's going on, where we're going, especially then ge this generation, they want to know why. They want to know how and they want to know why again. Yeah. <laughs> and again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to dive into a couple of those like really kind of key coaching pieces there. One is communication, right? Which is like something I see across all people who had really successful careers themselves as they had great communication lines with their coach. And then now in a coaching role is like how important it is to, you know, communicate the plan, but also like be able to take a step back when maybe things aren't going well. And like, like, all right, how do I like express this in a good way? Not just like, you know, when I growing up, I literally just like yell, just like, like yell at someone to get something done and get back on the bar or whatever. Like that doesn't like sink in well. So can you maybe speak to more about the communication lines that you had that were successful there and kind of how that's transferring now? Well, I think always like stating your intention, you know, like, um, I think one of my favorite concepts, one of my favorite books is, is good to great. Mm. And I think this defines so much of what athletes struggle with, especially 
nowadays because like in any given moment you're going to have a really good turn or a really good practice yeah. or a really good routine well the problem and frustration with good is that what place do you get when you're good you know right. like third place but good feels really good feels good feels great yeah it's not great and so yeah. this i think is nine times out of ten where you get like misalignments of coaches expectations versus mm. where the athlete is yeah, I I did a good routine. Why are they on my ass again? Yeah, yeah. Like, because we're trying to be great. Yeah. And and then the disconnect is a lot of times the athletes don't know what even great looks like or what it takes to to be great. And mm. so laying that out in explicit detail so that they understand the scope of the work that it takes because I mean, let's be honest, like half the athletes are like I, I'm here at practice. Like what more do you want from me? I showed up. Yeah. Like, God, it's just the first start. Like, yeah. and then we're going to get prepared. And that's like really hard work and doing the extra drills and then like doing all the physical, like, you know, the foundational stuff of the prehab, the rehab, yep. the strength conditioning work, and then all the routines and then yeah. doing the extra routine when that routine actually still wasn't good enough. So mm. now, so now you're prepared, but you're still not ready. Mm. And I, you know, I, it's, I can't tell me how many times I, I left a meet. And I might just have to coin this phrase. Like we walked into that meet so prepared, but we weren't ready. Mm. And there's this, that's the psychological element of being excellent. Right. So like, how do you work? Cause, cause that has to be there too. You can't just do all the drills and the physical work and think that you're ready to win a championship. You're out of your mind. There's the team dynamic. There's the individual mental preparedness for the intense situations that a competition are going to throw at you. And so you can get a team physically prepared, but then they're still not ready. And so mm. both of those things is incredibly difficult. And that's where you have to challenge your people constantly day in, day out, and, and leave them sometimes in a state of annoying, but then there's always a follow-up. You always have to provide clarity afterwards. Like we didn't just make you feel like trash throughout this practice to, because we wanted to be jerks today. Mm. We did this because we need you to know what it's like to feel this way and then still be able to kind of rise above it when mm. a competition throws this feeling at you inevitably this weekend or in, th in three months from now, you know? And so like, mm. otherwise the athletes like my coach is just an a-hole and then, the, you know, yeah. they're a jerk and they didn't really learn anything from that experience. But like making your athlete struggle has been scientifically proven to be the only way that we grow and get better. You right. have to struggle. Now, how much, you know, is really important. There's, Dosage, right. there's a sweet spot, right? You can't just Crush people. Unsuccessful for weeks on end, months on end. That's not going to do anything. But mm. they have to struggle if they're going to get better. And then, and then you need a debrief mm. to explain what did that feel. And really, it's just asking them questions like, "What? How did you feel like that? How did you grow from that? What did you learn from that? You know." And 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 um, that's honestly, we just do that every day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I love that phrase you said, like the psychological state of being excellent. Right. That's that's pretty iconic, right? Because I feel like a lot of people are striving to that. And I think especially in sports and gymnastics is like, people are not afraid of doing the work, like the extra hustle, the extra routines, but like the mentality of like, okay, my life is consumed around trying to be excellent, right? Trying to be excellent in my craft, which for some people that is like, you know, the extra 20 minutes of prehab rehab. For some people it's going to bed an hour earlier. So they don't feel like garbage the next day. For some people it's saying no to a lot of extracurricular activities when all their friends are going out because yep. I need to be ready to, to have the extra edge. Right. And I love that too. And I think it ties in together well, which is like the communication is so important because I think that the best coaches I see, the best programs I see, they level set expectations at the very beginning of like, why are we here as athletes yeah. and what are we doing, right? We are here 
to approach a common goal of getting to nationals or winning or whatever. And like, that is our standard. That is what we want to do. So all the choices we make and all the things we expect of you are in alignment with the fact that you have that goal too. And I personally find, I'd love your thoughts on this. I think a lot of issues come up when there's a misalignment of goals. When the coach thinks one thing and the gymist thinks one thing, then in the club world to make it resonant for people, the parent thinks something else and people are running in seven different directions, you know? And so like, I think that that's one of the more important things is like a clear outline of why we're here and what we're doing and what the alignment of our goals are, you know? Uh, I couldn't agree more. It allows you to push, right? Yeah. Like if, it, if your goal is to just like be in the mix, then we're just gonna have a great time at practice. There's no reason to challenge anyone. But like yeah. if you're trying to win, extraordinary results takes extraordinary effort. I said that mm -hmm. was a quote under my core value for fight, for hard work. I said it was there. Fighting allows our my spin on just hard work. Like you know, like it's too hard or it's so hard. I can't tell you how many seniors that like finally had the light bulb go off and like what we were really challenging them. It was actually Andrew Margolis one time about a philosophy of training like you want to compete. Um, and, 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 and it was just, he looked at me one day and his senior year was like, wait, every time in practice, when I raise my hand, you want me to, to approach that routine? Like it was a meet. Mm. And I was like, Yes, Andrew, for the fourth year in a row, that's exactly our standard. <laughs> that's exact. And he looked at me finally with true sincerity and kind of looked at me and goes, that's really hard. And I was like, I think you finally get it mm. because it absolutely is. And before everyone just nodded their head and went and just went back to practice. Right. And so it was like in that moment, he finally got it. And was like, holy hell, this, that's really hard to do. And I was like, well, winning a national championship is really hard to do. Yeah. You know, and so like learning lesson for me, why did it take him four years to truly understand that concept? And like, I'm like, damn, I, I did something wrong there. Mm. That wasn't his fault. That was my fault. Mm. Your athletes aren't getting your message and you've said it to them a thousand times. The problem is not necessarily with them. It, it might be, but ultimately as the coach, that's your delivery problem. That's you yeah. not delivering the message or crafting the message appropriately. And so like, I'm like, damn. Mm, yeah. And something I think a lot about that really well is like the communication actually allows trust, right? That's what you're trying to bank is trust that, you know, the, I think a, a coach has that job to communicate and build that trust and rapport, but a coach also has a really important role to know the dosage appropriately and know when to push and when to pull, which I think is sometimes another issue people kind of come into is you, like you said, like, it's all about the optimal dose of like, it's gotta be hard. It's gotta be pushed. It's gotta be strained. But there's sometimes when you got to know when to pull people back from the edge a little bit, you know, whether you're on injury risk or burnout risk, or you can just see it's not really jiving that day. But I think that like those two things together, the trust and that kind of awareness is what allows you like, dude, like you get the most progress when it's the darkest and the hardest and you don't want to be there and you're sore. And the last thing you want to do is stay for 20 more minutes and do an extra set of basics. That's when it matters most. But that's, that's when, when you're, when you're at your level, you know, whether it's, it was at the Olympics or whether it's in college for men's, cause obviously it's so competitive or even now in women's, it's like, everyone's doing most of the same stuff. Like yep. everyone's training hard. Everyone's kind of doing it, but like, where do you get 1% over this much better from the last day? It's when you want to leave early and not do the stupid rehab stuff and not stay there and listen to some yep. sort of like mental toughness talk. Like that's where it really happens, you know? But there's also like mental there, There's also mental fortitude that's built within that too. Like I remember yeah. it, I, like the, 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 the fractional details of like going to bed a little bit earlier or not going out that one time or doing mm -hmm. extra couple like ankle rehab, like how much do they physically accumulate to making you that much better? Like, I yeah. don't know, but what yeah. I do know, and I remember from my own experience after four surgeries leading into the Olympics was like, I remember I turned into a different person from a psychological approach to my Olympic training mm. 
when I finally picked up the keys as a, cause as a party animal, my whole life, very, it, it re, I was always ready to, ready to have some drinks and hang out with friends. Yeah. But the eight months finally leading up to the Olympics, I remember being proud to grab the keys and like, mm. the Olympic trials coming up. I'm, mm. I'm going to be the DD. And even my girlfriend who eventually came my wife at the time was like, Whoa. And I was like, those reactions, like they kind yeah. of, they, they, they made, they started to make me feel invincible in my journey again. After mm. I had just come off tearing my ACL and then had two ankles, you know, like um, it, I became like unstoppable and it almost felt like I had started building up equity, not just physically in my physical process, but in my mental approach to being really psychologically and emotionally grounded and ready for an Olympic trials that where I was physically a mess still and then going into an Olympic games. Yeah. Again, back to it, like the psychological state of being excellent, right? Yeah. Like it's someone who's pursuing excellence stay for four more. And even if you're not drinking, you're just there till two in the morning, or does the person pursuing excellence go home and go to sleep? Because it's they not know that you're better than this moment. It's no, just no. You have something more important to do right now. Correct. Okay. Correct. And I think that's so important, right? Which is like the people who I meet in my life, whether it's business, whether it's co uh, coaching, like the people who are like completely ferociously, relentlessly attacking a goal they care the most about, they have this like just cocoon where it's like, well, I'm doing me versus yeah. me for me. It's not for the outside noise. I'm not better than anybody else. I'm not trying to like flex on anybody, but I have a goal and I relentlessly pursue this. And I need to, I need to give a shout out to Dave, right? Dave is someone who I actually look up a lot to because he, he was like that when he was training as I got to know him more. And he's still like that now. Really? Like, I'm trying to build a business. I'm trying to work really hard. I'm trying to be a good dad. And he relentlessly is attacking those things just as hard as he probably was during the Olympics. And it's like, damn, those people are like inspiring. You know what I mean? Someone who can really shut the noise out and just hustle towards their goals. Sick. You're talking about Dave Durante. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a one-of-a-kind human being. Without, <laughs> yeah. without question. I mean, I, you know, like we want a medal, you know, and he he like I I just I Dave, he's one of the most selfless human beings as well. Like I just, mm -hmm. yeah, I can't I can't sing Dave Durante's praise enough. I and, agree. Yeah, and, and story, right? his story. is incredible. Yeah. His, uh, his like ACL story, right? For those I've told in the podcast, and he said this before, but like, you know, trained his whole life to go to Stanford the whole nine first day towards ACL. And he was like, you know, like, okay, I can get really good at rings. And of course he was like, that was his thing after a while. And even when it didn't work out the way he wanted to, he was like the number one. I remember watching that Olympics and seeing Dave on the sideline going nuts, even though it didn't work out the way that he wanted to. Like, again, yeah. back to selfish. You can't think of somebody even more, you know, on your side than that. Yeah. Yeah, that's sick. He's a good dude. Shout yeah. out to um, and I forgot what we were talking about. Yeah. So Dave expresses, right. The psychological like aspect of being excellent, relentlessly yeah. focused towards his goals. And I think that plays into communication, trust, you build your team around that goal, and then you can relentlessly push towards that. And when all the, you know, all the caves in and like you're on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning workout, I remember vividly doing 8am circuits with my team, right. Where everybody was not going out. We were all just waking up at the butt crack of dawn to do these long ass circuits. And Greg Monaco from temple was our assistant coach. And the first day of practice, he stood up there. He's like, listen, D3 school, there's no scholarships. We're going against D1 teams. He's like, we got a long ass hour here. If you don't like it, go home. That's fine. No, no shame, but like, get out, you know, it's like, oh, oh, okay. This is real out here, man. This is real. And that's sick, right? To be a part of a group like that is electric. It is. And then, so all right, Illinois, and then what made or what happened with the transition to women's to Alabama? Cause that's what most people came to the podcast for is not the Justin and Dave kickback story, but the future of you in Alabama and stuff. So maybe share the, the journey there. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, again, I, you know, went to Illinois so much of my identity and my own legacy is, is still tethered to Illinois and I love Illinois. Um, it was just me like looking at Minnesota, Iowa, 
and and then it, for a small time, William and Mary dropping their programs, right? Mm-hmm. Like in COVID, um, I'm like, all right, we're averaging one a year. Statistically, this career, I'm 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 essentially a CDs. I'm a compact disc salesman right now. You know, like <laughs> when the iPhone came out, you're a CD comp. I'm a CD. I'm selling CDs right now. I'm like, some people still have them. They're in some of the older cars, but like this is a very acquired taste. Like, yeah. like this isn't going Electric in the right direction. So I, you know, I just saw the writing on the wall, and and um, it's really hard to, um, how do you leave something that you love in your great right. position for 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 not for nothing for something else that you, when you're still employed and doing it and, and loving and like invested in that like opportunities don't really come by. Sure. Like I had a few that I'd kind of sought after. It was never the right fit. And it just didn't make sense to leave what I had, even knowing maybe where it was going to yeah. take it. And that, you know, and then cue a text from, from Ashley, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and I always thought that I could get into women's coaching. Um, I shared a gym with the women's program for 20 yeah. years at Bullitt, yeah. Illinois and, yeah. and saw what they did and saw what, and, and, and would often think like, ah, oh, I would totally do this or that, you know, but like, um, not my place and, and yeah. so got, got the opportunity, um, to just, she just, she opened the question and then like my, it like blew my, it blew my brain open. I was yeah. like, oh my God, th- this would be something worth making a transition for into women's coaching. It's a storied historical, great program. Yeah. One of the greats. Right. Um, but also Ashley, I, I just know who you work for after mm-hmm. I've been my own boss for 13 years is a, is a huge piece. And Ashley, oh. is a, one of the most composed, grounded, focused, and thoughtful human beings I've ever met. I enjoyed mm-hmm. our relationship with her husband when she was at Illinois for 10 months um, and just knew that could carry on and was excited mm-hmm. about helping her take over a program and, and make it our own. And, you know, and I think we had a short Zoom after just to test the water. She wanted to see where my philosophies were sure. from a coaching standpoint, because I think that is important. You know, leaders yeah. don't need to be balanced. Leadership teams do. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, and so you can have a lot of varying differences on a staff, but what matters most is that are your values aligned? Mm. Um, and so I think once we saw uh, an alignment of values in the way that we approach a program and our coaching style or whatever, it was lights. It was game over. Mm, so that's sweet. End of that call, I was just starting the process and she was like, well, pretty sure this, this job's going to be yours. So it's kind of <laughs> like balls. And I was like, yeah, it's happening. Um, like what? Like you just, <laughs> like, and, you know, and, and then, hanging, maybe, <laughs> yeah. And my wife had been listening through the door during the Zoom call, and I opened the door, and she had always been that goal line defense. Yeah, uh, like any opportunity, not take, not not. You know, like this isn't right for us. She, I opened the door, and I was like, "Oh, you've been here the whole time." And she was like, <laughs> "I think this is the right opportunity for us." And I was like, "Holy hell!" Yeah. I was like, oh, "No!" Like that's where like my heart fell in the pit of my stomach mm. initially because thought of leaving Illinois, yeah. um, you know, um, kind of like when I left competing, like when I told I was going to get the head coaching position at 26 year old, it, it wasn't the gravity of the responsibility that was coming forward. It was that I'm done being a competitive athlete now. Mm. That was the hardest, you know, right. So like these crazy transitions. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I hear you, man. It's, it's, it's tough, right? It's tough to tear away from something so deep in your heart, whether it's competing to coaching one school to another men's to women's, but at the same time, like, I think everybody has a respect and a love for what you did. And it's just a new chapter, you know, like, that's how I view it. That's how I yeah. saw it. When I saw the announcement, it's like, all right, this is a natural progression of, you know, Justin as a human and like, shout out, you know? 
Yeah. And, and I was really excited and, and full disclosure, a little frightened before, like of like wondering what the differences are. I still remember studying the, the names of the team on the way in. <laughs> I didn't want to walk in and feel like I didn't know the team, which is funny because that like to not have the names memorized would be like that would be acceptable. I think I, I was like trying to overcompensate for me, not knowing what to expect walking into a women's program. Yeah. And Dave, I shit you not. When I when I walked in, the first thing out of my mouth was. There's no ring tower <laughs> because, it, and, and I know that's so silly, but like, and and then Ashley, this is hilarious. Tells me months later, she's like, I thought you were talking like a championship ring tower. <laughs> like, talk about total world the audacity of this clown. <laughs> because you know, a still rings tower is such a prominent feature. Oh yeah, the gym. it's yeah. the tallest thing. Yeah, um, and I, for whatever reason, every gym I've ever walked into my entire life had a ring tower. <laughs> that's home. It's like your safety blanket. You know, I was like, no ring tower. <laughs> you know like where's the horse it's not in the back it just and it was just kind of a funny thing of like this is a whole new world for you dude yeah Um, and then it stayed awkward for about two more two more minutes (laughs) and then it was fine it was fine and so i'm curious for that which is like what is the biggest transition point or like what do you have to learn the most like what was so different from because i know for a fact men's gymnastics is a different animal than is women's for many reasons money many of them good um but like young boys are not young girls and vice versa so like what did you have to like no. adjust to the most so at first not that much right i they, i had i've had many surprising moments throughout my last 8 months <laughs> but at first because of the way I, my coaching philosophy you know it's like there's no blanket statement or policy for for even two people like yep. you know and and i think that's what i what i was so nervous about is every for the last 20 years i've never not walked into my space and known my athletes really 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 well mm, right. i know them as people i know them i know them how to push them i know how to communicate with them i know what pisses them off mm. i.e what to avoid yeah or sometimes what to step into depending on what yeah. we're trying Open to get there a little bit. yeah you know so like um i didn't know these human beings yeah and that was i think was the scariest part and mm. so that relationship building process became so important, but there were so many other things going on. So that really, that was the hardest part. I think for me was like, I'm coaching these athletes, but I don't know them as people or as athletes. Mm. And I don't, I'm like, how do you coach a person that you don't know? Yeah. You know, which is your biggest problem with camp. So like it's, it started off as all positive, keep things going, you know, and, and, um, and then start to figure out what are the problems that need to be fixed and, 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 and really learning who they are. And so I think that allowed, so, so that made the, I think, you're just working with your people, right? Yeah. So that yeah. was easy. Now, um, generally going from men to women, I that that's where the surprise moments. So like, I, I forget, it was a recruiting weekend that started right out the gate. Um, and uh, the stick position was, I'm just like, sticks were important back in men's gymnastics. Yeah. Oh my God, with the 10-0 cap and yeah. a landing deduction being undeniable, not subject, well, I would say that's not true, but I've seen some tens with big hops and yeah, legs. yeah. You go there. You want um, the gym that let us on fire for that one, so we're going to vote. It would be legs. undeniable, and I think that it, without question, it still absolutely is the most undeniable deduction in, in women's college gymnastics is a landing deduction because yep. it's cut and dry. You can see it, and so I'm like, we stick percentage has got to go through the roof. That's yep. got to happen because inherently, yep. I think it's the most variable. Like you're you're going to assume you're going to get your routines to where they need to get. Now we need to make sure that like we're sticking at ninety percent plus mm. on those things. Um, yeah. And so I just started playing a stick game on tumble track, and the first skill, what Dave, what would you do if I said, you know, 
I'm going to throw you off a cliff if you don't stick this this skill off tumble track. What skill would you do? You do a stretch jump, bro. Stretch jump? No, that has a it has a flip. I guess. Oh yeah, back tuck. Back tuck. All right. What what about a front entry? Front half. Yeah, the branny, right? You know, front yeah. half because you can see it the entire way, almost more than a back tuck. Yeah. So I, I said front half. Front branny is the most undeniable. If I had to put my life on it, even more all than the back tuck. They've never done front brandies. They're going all over the place. I cannot tell you how many of them fell off the mat. <laughs> dude that's like when you do the stick game on trampoline and you ask for a half turn and people are like off the mat all yeah. over the place. <laughs> and 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 to see their faces lined up behind at the back of the tumble track terrifying um they're like for at the gate i'm like you know we so we did straight jump half jump full turn and that was all fun and then it was like all right let's start flipping front half yeah and and, and then i i didn't realize in the moment but they were like this dude is out of his his mind yeah. But in my brain, I'm like, this is the easiest, most undeniable thing you could possibly do. I mean, I had girls that compete front double falls on floor, go like on the Z axis and do a front half. And I'm like, huh. The, the same with a back half, man. You ever tell someone to do a back half? Just a simple uh, back half. It's terrifying. I fought that battle for five months. <laughs> but I work with a couple of girls. Like a back that. half is the last piece of, of spawning on a back one yeah. and a half which is our 10 oval your chain yeah. one and a half and so like we had to break down i mean i had like i had private lessons with small groups to break down a back uh, half because yeah. they want to hollow duck their yeah. head i don't yeah. know why that's so ingrained like this this position i'd be scared to death to do trampoline too if i was completely lost the entire time i mean so like we had a lot of stuff to break down with air awareness spotting and landing mechanic and just yeah. in, in air mechanic i'm just it's like uh i became a trampoline coach a lot in yeah. a lot of ways for the first couple months i'm like how do you expect to spot and land how do you expect to stick undeniably big big tumbling passes full ins mm. one and a half on vault if you aren't if you don't see the ground you know yeah. we went from like the girls i mean like i just close my eyes i'm like unacceptable I pray. Like, you close your I eyes. The man above, Justin. You have everything to look at. Yeah. So, and that I remember saying that all the time. Like I would be scared too. Yeah. To do things that are outside of my routine, and so that kind of opened up this bigger picture of like expanding the breadth of their gymnastics. Like, mm. Um, just because you do a double, if you do a front double full punch layout or a lay double full, like you should be able to do lay punch half lay. Yeah. lay. Lay, 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 punch full, lay, punch Rudy, lay, punch, double full, double full punch. And they're just like, why? Yeah. And I'm like, because it develops this like much broader understanding of where you are, how to bound out, how to spot, how to manipulate your body within your little past, because you might be over amped. Your legs might be jello one time mm. in those moments. You now will be able to work and make adjustments so that your gymnastics can be undeniable despite varying external circumstances or internal circumstances because mm. adrenaline's through the roof or your legs are tired or anything in between. But if mm. you only know how to do your pass exactly the right way when it's exactly feels perfect and your body's exactly, yeah. fr- you know, like what a recipe for disaster when something's a little off, like, a yeah. leaf, right? Like what are we crazy? You know, so like, and the know, wind's blowing from Northeast only with a little sliver of sun in the yeah, light. That's why I hate superstition. And, and you know, yeah. like, so I was like, we got to break all this down. Like yeah. I want you to like rain, sleep, dark light you know after a strength circuit be able to run over the floor and go lay punch double full or yeah. you know you know and, and like to be able to work that and and make the adjustments so you know how to make the adjustments so that you're never on your on your butt on this pass whether mm. you're tired or too amped or whatever and so i had fun doing that and they mm. and they and they 
despite being scared to death, I think a lot of the time really embraced it. And a lot of them got better. And I, I'll never forget my moment. Like when one of the, one of our athletes saw the ground coming out of her full into her half and she landed and it was, she didn't stick. It was really, she goes, I saw the ground before I landed. And I'm like, yeah, supposed to, yeah, that's, that's, a that's, good how it goes. that's how it's supposed to be. Um, but that came through a lot of progressions. And so that was bit, one big one of, like, I just didn't know that they were so dialed in. And um, I think them having a, a huge say and opinion in their training mm. as well has been yeah. something that was really different. Um, you know, when you're, you're seeking peak performance, like the athlete has such a, should have such an, it should, I think should have a lot of input, right. you know, because if you're going to safely push the boundaries of, of what a person's capable of, you're going to need to know how and when to do that. You know, yeah. like um, if they don't have a, a, an input on numbers and reps and like, and, and again, that comes with a conversation beforehand of like, like knowing that like, Hey, this is a push week. We're going to, you're going to be exhausted. Mm. But we're still going to try to get a routine done. Um, but if any time that you don't feel safe, like we can't push that threshold, like safety is first, most, and always, right. but like, right. we have to learn how to do our gymnastics and our routines when we don't feel great. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and there's a time for that and it's not going to be always, but this is that week. Right. Yep. And, and so, you know, and them learning to to you to communicate and have an opinion about their training and when the time is right to do things was also another process. Which yeah. I wish I could get some of my guys to shut up, you know. <laughs> like stop telling me how you feel all the time. I know. Yes. Like it's it's ringing. It's gonna be hard. I'm aware you can't lift your arms above your head anymore. Yeah. Go to another Maltese push planche. Like, right? <laughs> yeah, two more, please. Yeah, two more. Um, yeah, I hear two things in there that I think are really important to pull out. One is on the first piece you talked about is like the, just the importance of really taking time to get to know the athletes, right? Like you in a new setting or any coach who's working with it. I feel like sometimes we under appreciate how like nuanced people are and like, yes, there's one training program. Yes, there's one way to do it, but you really have to understand people are so different, man. People, some people love the push. Some people like to pull back. Some people need motivation. Some people need like they can do it on their own. And like the more you individually know the athletes, know who they are as humans and what they're driven by, the more, you know, the success of that trust is built, but also like you have tailored programs to what they need you to be an effective coach for the person. Like, oh, like, yeah, it seems like common sense, but it's unfortunately you know, like not as common as you would think to take the time to really understand the person. It's hard. Take the time. It's yeah. so, it's hard to do this. Yeah. It's easier just to yell blanket statements and have everyone follow one program. Yep. Right. And then the second thing you said, which I think I've heard from uh, Brett from Maryland and many of the people too, as well, is like, even though you're in a high level environment, college, NCAA, elite, whatever, jail, club level 10 elite, like man, basics and going back to fundamentals never goes out of style, right? Like, and I think the best thing I ever heard somebody do that we did a lot in college was just like, like twisting ladders, right? Like you should do a layout, then a half, then a full, then yeah. a one and a half, double full, two and a half, then go all the way back down. And a coach should be like, all right, do a double full and then do a half. Like, and you should be able to go backwards and forwards, whether it's bars and basics, whether it's twisting, whether it's just your chanko where your hands going around off. Like, I feel like the higher people get up the level, they, they drift away from basics, not realizing that the people that were the most elite actually do more of that, not less, you know? Well, we made a switch with a girl in her dismount. She'd been doing a double back off beam all year. Um, and it, But it's like, again, with the stick, like that's hard to stick. Yeah. And like with the difficulty swap, like we wanted to go to a double full, um, which like that's a major dismount switch. Yeah. And, but like she doesn't compete one on floor. Um, but she was able to do it like basically in a practice because I think we I, she was one of the ones that like we did a lot of this twisting mechanics with in mm. trampoline time. Um and like, she just, dude, she picked it up immediately. And it, mm -hmm. it you know, and I just, I, you could have never have done that had you not gotten them comfortable with, again, the twisting ladder as you so speak, right? Like yeah. just, um, 
And so, and now she's sticking that double full after being dismount, like left and right. And I'm like, mm. hey, <laughs> let's go. it's a game changer. Like, yeah. so, yeah. And closely related to that too, is I definitely want to touch and double back on the, uh, you know, the aspect of a team cohesion unit as a leadership role. I think that's a really important topic too, is, you know, what was it like moving to a, a much more team oriented role within the coaching staff, but also at Bama, man, I know for a fact, college programs, you have like athletic trainers, you have doctors, you have nutritionists, you have mental, like there's so many things around you that you probably like, I know for a fact, probably were not the existence when you were growing up as an athlete. So what is that like stepping into an environment where like, there's so many more people to talk with and interact with when, when Ashley hired me um we, we she was like looking at like the like a student code or I, I i and i was like all right staff's complete because you already have like a director of ops right yeah she's <laughs> like what are you talking about we're like halfway done and then like five more managers later a student coach a volunteer coach uh, an, an assistant trainer to the head trainer i'm like holy, <laughs> holy hell like this is unbelievable like the army <laughs> our staff is like 20 people deep you know yeah. and then um, halfway through the first couple months of practice, I'm like, we need more managers. This is chaos. You know, like it's amazing. How <laughs> shoes. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, when I left Illinois, we had three coaches and a trainer. Yeah. Was it. yeah. And we had other support services. Like we didn't even have a director of ops. We didn't mm. have, like, I was like doing meal prep plans and like mm. on the road, like we're going to eat at the chilies. Cause I don't want to deal with it. You know, like it was really like, it was crazy. Um, Bro, the the like, grind of an $8 stipend in college gymnastics. Let me tell you. <laughs> We'll get me started on our per diem for breakfast. All right, next thing. So what's it like with a team of people? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to say maybe an unpopular opinion. Like I, I, it's amazing how many resources we have. Um, there are so many though that I feel like we're just um, contracting the, the help to our athletes. Mm. Whereas the co, and I realize why. And I realized I'm not a perfect, I'm not a, I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a strength coach. I didn't get my, you know, biomechanic, whatever, you know, whatever, yeah. like, but like, so now, but now like, so we just teach like round offs and back handsprings and then we leave. Right. Like, but like, and then if you're struggling mentally, like go talk to the sports psych. And then, you know, we have a counselor for that. And I'm like, you look, the coach though, still is the person that spends the most time with the athlete. Correct. And there's, there's an inherent, um, we want to win, right? Like you were in competitive college athletics, but like, if I don't get all those other conversations to show the athlete that I'm invested in them and their process and that I care and build that trust, those are all other areas where we could have conversations outside of gymnastics mm. to where I got to know this person. Mm. And I'm not a sports psychologist. I can't diagnose why you feel this way and then give you yeah. a prescription for how to feel. And, you know, I think that's really a hard science anyway, but like, just the simple act of them like talking to me about how like, man, I'm really struggling with X, yeah. Y, and Z as we're yeah. going through this push is an incredibly valuable conversation to have Absolutely. with the athlete regardless. And so yeah. I feel like we're losing a little bit of that because we have all these amazing resources. And like you said, as the coach, now I'm having to find out that there was someone else. Yeah. Sometimes I can't even find out because of, of, of information disclosure laws, you know, and, and in some ways that's made it harder, I think, as a coach to get to, to really be able to like, cause it, to, to, to push and drive your players to be amazing yeah. in the way that they want to be amazing yeah. because that's such a huge part of this piece. Mm. Like, um, 
And I think the takeaway too is the extremes, right? I think that's where people get in the water is like that one extreme of like, I'm completely doing it all. I'm going to be a nutritionist and a strength coach and a gymnastics coach. And it's just like way too many plates and you fall apart. But the other extreme is like what you said, which is like, set it and forget it. Like, oh, not my problem. I teach back handsprings. Like, I think you have to be in the middle. You have to be aware and use the resources, but also still be proactive of wanting to know people and understand them and really get nuanced. You know, I think that's the takeaway. That it's like, you just, you just, you just, you just took my, my conclusion statement. (laughs) Sorry, I stole your thunder. <laughs> ah, but that, but that's exactly where I was leading, right? You just yeah. inferred it and d- delivered it as eloquently as you could, right? Like, um, which was perfect. Like, I, yeah, like I, I'm struggle with finding that balance with the additional resources and staff that it's available. Mm. Because if you see someone struggling during practice a little bit here and there, that's okay. But like struggling all the time at all yeah. the like, like something bigger is going on here. Yeah, right. And I can't, you know, you don't just want to be like, make sure you go see the counselor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dig in a little bit and figure out the human, right? So insensitive and ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> like um, how, you know, like I want, and more importantly, like I want to know, like if you're like not enjoying this process, and I tell my athletes this all the time, like I want to win more than anyone. Mm. But in the end, it's college athletics and there's a lot of damn good teams out there. And if we don't yeah. walk away with the ring on our finger this year, um, I don't want it to be all for nothing. And then mm. more important, like when we do win and we have a ring, the ring is garbage. It's a piece of metal, probably made in China. It's it, it, what, what, it, why it is meaningful and what it, why it matters is the stories that are embedded in that thing, yeah. which is the relationships and the journey that we went on from day one till now. And then, and then I've seen that with my guys' teams. They come mm. back and they're like, "Damn, that's a good looking ring." That remember <laughs> that year when? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember when coach did that? Like, yeah it's instantly goes to the stories and the, and, yeah. and the experiences that we went through to earn that thing. And then, mm. so on the other side, like if we don't earn one, you still got to have those experiences and those growth lessons and those opportunities and those bonding moments, because then that was all worth it. It was all worth yeah. it because you had those things and yeah, you don't get a ring for those things, but you'll, you'll remember and have those forever. And so like, that's been yeah, another, another crucial, yeah. Another crucial thing, right. Which is like, the shiny thing you think is going to make you happy or make it all worth it. We'll probably have a moment of like, damn, this is cool. But like, that's definitely not it. And I've been super lucky, man. I've yeah. worked with people who've won Olympic gold medals, you know, CrossFit games, whatever. And like, like it's cool. It's dope. But that like the grind and the journey of what I had to do to get here. And like you said, the story of who I am because yeah. of it and that relentless mindset, that's what's for sure. You know? So I think coaches need to understand that and pursue a goal that's meaningful, but not based on self-esteem or like their worth on like, did we win or not? You know? And that's why you have to frame those tough moments. You have to allow mm. them to be learning lessons, right? Like you don't just set them up to struggle because you know it's best for them to be the best gymnasts. Like those are also incredible life lessons that will serve them far beyond the scope of a sport and gymnastics, yeah. right? Like, so you have to let them get, get, pull those out, right? And yeah. draw those out. Like, And honestly, that's been one of the things I love the most is within the 20 hour rule of trying to get six events when ring mm. strength takes an hour alone at the end of three practices. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. do you get six events in it? And Oh, and you're training straight fig, which is the Olympic yeah. code. Like what are you out of your yeah. mind yeah. getting into yeah. the 20 hour rule in men's gymnastics? It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. There's time now in women's to do these things. So I love that. Yeah. Like we much, we fit much cleaner into the 20 hour cap window of college of, of the NCAA requirement and can still do all these things and do all mm. these things. I love, I love that. Cause that's always been where my passion has been is, um, 
you know, and not to pat myself on the back, but a lot of the, you know, I've had a lot of comments from our athletes, our, 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 you know, women gymnasts that have been in the sport for a long time say, Hey, thanks for making gymnastics like fun again, you know, mm, like, right. um, and, and so to that, so to come back full circle, we asked like, you know, men's, men's gymnastics is totally different than women's like Ashley brought me here to, to bring a lot of men's gymnastics with me. Yeah. Right. Like, um, we are goofy and we do play around. And like the yeah. other day I was like making like ices, like in the middle of practice. <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> it was our spring break before SECs. And it's just like, yeah. you know, I, like, and so like, I, like an idiot was yelling at like on the bus ride to SECs, like spring break 23, let's go. You know, like, <laughs> yes, it's SECs, but like, it, that doesn't mean it can't be fun. That doesn't mean yeah. it can't, it's, it's fun to, to kick ass. Yeah. It's fun to, to walk in like, like a rock star and know you've got, you know, your routine on lockdown. And to do that, mm -hmm. it can be a grind, but I was also that way at morning conditioning. I was the asshole at 6 a.m. weights being like 6 a.m. weights. Woo! Yeah. No place I'd rather be. And there yeah, was some yeah. sarcasm to it, but like, I'd rather that than like. Hood, hoodie on place. miserable in the corner. Yeah. yeah. Like no one wants to be around that. So like, yeah. I just learned to kind of make light of the worst moments of my career to the point that every out of my nine surgeries, every time I got a surgery, I was like, another vacation, baby. Like, all right, another, you know, I needed a break, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you can't dwell on it. It's just going to put you in a terrible set. So, yeah. And I want to go back to something you said, it's super important too, which is another highlight, which is like those moments of like, when it feels the worst, you know, where like, it doesn't go the way you want. And it's just like, it feels like crippling. Like I call those emotional catalysts, man. If you can harvest the moment there and really like oh. give it maybe a day or two to like, not be so raw. But if you can come back to that as a coach and debrief that as an athlete and be like, what can we learn from this? Right. Like yeah. what can we harvest? Like that's where the most like momentum for change or positive slingshots happen. It's not in the greatest moments. It's in the darkest moments where it doesn't go the way you want, you know? And that's been said a thousand different ways. And it's a message that you constantly have to keep repeating because obviously it's in those moments where it's hardest. Yes. But it's like, what did you really learn when you felt perfect and the routine was easy? Yeah. Nothing. You just cruise through. Yeah. So like, that's when I'm going to challenge you the most to try to get a routine done. And, and, and this is, I think is again, another polarizing difference from men to women is <clears throat> guys you. will a lot more readily grind through yeah a, a, a gnarly routine and like land in a standing pike sitting like they just barely got to their feet and they were like i didn't die you know that one, that one and a quarter you eat hard and still have to like front up rise like oh no <laughs> you know and and be because that's so much built into the open-ended code and fig points of men's gymnastics yeah so like these girl these women were physically prepared to hit their their routines probably back in like november mm. And so like now it's all about every routine has to be perfect yeah, all the time. And like, man, that's a tough way to, to go through practices day yeah. in and day out. Yeah. Like, and, and so like get, getting them to realize that having to fight through or struggle through ones when you are still sore from the circuit yesterday yeah. is exactly the learning lesson that you need to learn so that you do feel invincible on the mm. postseason floor. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, and like, because you're right. Like it, it's one of my favorite, I don't know who said it, but like how many, like how many straight straights or how many handstand pushups do I need to do? Like, I don't know, but the only ones that count are the ones that get, are the ones that, that are hard. Yeah. You know, like if you can do 20 easy, don't stop at 20 and you get any stronger. You just maintained or about, you know, yeah. like the only ones that matter are the ones that start to, that are start to start to get hard. Right. Like, mm. uh, and that's, I think true in life. Like, 
but you just have to have the, the mind to be able to, 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 to embrace that, to embrace mm-hmm. the suck, right? Like you gotta, you gotta learn to enjoy the suck. The people that are able to do that are the athletes that end up setting records, right? Like, yeah. It's, it's the greediness, right? It's like that factor. And I actually was talking to, we had a couple of college girls that were home and hear this now. I'm like, what percentage of like overall time is like come down to like, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it because I know it's towards my goal. I think all of us were like around 90%. I'm like, yeah, 90% right? time, like, like, I don't want to work out today. Not really. I don't want to like meal prep every week. Not really. I'd rather eat nachos instead of my ass, of course. But like it serves a goal that I have. And I feel like it's better to accept that and realize it's going to be hard and build tools to deal with the hard than be like, you know what? We're going to coast through this. It's all going to be peaches and rainbows and never be hard. Like that's, that's not going to happen. You know, there's a forum for that. It's just not this one. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's, that's your neighborhood softball league or whatever. Like, you know, like, and, and, but that's the problem is you get athletes that I think kind of are, are looking for that and then struggle with like refine it's easy to do that when you're driven towards the bigger picture. Um, mm. and, and then, that, but then that's why getting your team on the same page for what you're mm. doing, what we're doing, mm. um, and, and what part do you play? What's your role in this? You know, and I'm mm. a big one that's like, um, I, I've always said that like your, your value and the, and the, that you bring to this team isn't determined by the points you put up in a meet. Like I, mm. I just, you, I, again, I, I, we're really teaching that team dynamic lesson. I think that's why companies seek out student athletes because they inherently have at least a little bit understanding of if I'm not the star player, I still have a role and can, can, and, and can serve and help my team be better from, from down here. Right. You get a team that understands that your team is going to be amazing. Yeah. And to that, a similarity between men's and women's is that in the club program, it's so individual. Like you can say it's team for your gym and your oh, club. Yeah. It's really individual. Shocked. Exactly. You get, the, you snap your fingers and you're in college where like the, we matters more than the I. And that's like a crazy flip for a lot of people, which is like, it's great. It's motivating. Cause I actually, I mean, I, w- I always would work, work harder for my team than I did for our own personal goal. Too. But at the same time, it's just like, you have to like really kind of like culture shock yourself in the fact that like, you know, well, maybe what's best for me is not being an all arounder and being amazing on three events and training one more in case something happens. And like, maybe I'm just like, someone's having an amazing week that's happened in college. Like someone's having an amazing week. They clearly have a better start value than me. I have to take the L and accept the fact that they're probably on and I'm probably off. And it's for the better of the team. If that person goes and I don't, and then maybe next week it's a different story, but that would have never crossed my mind in club. You know, my cl- club is no. like al- always all the time, no matter what, everything, everywhere, all at once, you know? And, and I, and usually certainly at a program like Alabama, like you are probably the best kid in your pro club. Yeah. And, yep. so, and now you instantly are dropped into a program where you're maybe one yeah. of the best, right? And that's really hard by itself as well. And then you're supposed to help the girl next to you, like mm. earn as your spot, right? Her lineup spot over your and and I mean I think that's the problem is when when your identity or self worth is tethered to these lineup spots. Yeah, you don't really feel like the fact that I just helped her become better. Mm. Um is the same. Like, I guess that's where you get really deep. And that's where the, I think athletics can be really hard. It's like, everything's tethered to playing time. Right. Like, right. Right. Um, I think, I think that's different. I think men and women handle that differently. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I do love what you said. Those you. are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quite large. <laughs> And I do, I do like what you said, which is, I, I don't want to paraphrase you the wrong way, but like essentially like your value to this team is not the score you give. It's yeah. like so much more than that. Right. And of course that ties to the coaching side, which is that your value as a coach and a human being is not tied to the score. Of the team. 
for your win or that. And I think when everybody collectively, I'm a big believer that like these hierarchies kind of have a trickle down effect where the person who's the higher up or the leader, if yeah. they just have humility and teamwork and the team is better than I, that trickles down to the captains, which trickles yep. down to the people, which trickles down to the people recruiting, looking up at the program, right? Because you can for sure see when certain groups or teams are collectively uh, you know, as Tom Farden says, pull, pointing the finger versus pulling the thumb. And I really resonate with that a lot, which is like, is your first action to say it's all your fault no matter what? Or is it like, you know, what did I do here? And you already explained that, which is like, oh, this is a problem on me. I didn't communicate enough. Whereas like a lot of coaches are all like, you know, it's always the athlete's fault. They didn't listen. They're not following along. They just don't want to work hard enough. It's like, well, maybe you have a communication, you know, barrier there. We haven't figured out how to get everyone on board. And then sometimes you might go back to like, we just, the recruiting, but like, it, yeah, it's hard. Cause yeah. it's, you know, it, it, it's, 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 you're under a pressure cooker, you know? And yeah. so like everyone's under stress, but again, that's one thing that I knew about. I, Ashley might be one of the most calm and composed. I, mm. I've seen her in have a baby take over a program in her first year, it, like as head coach, like mm. I, I can't speak to how, like there are moments where I would have like imploded, <laughs> not imploded, but it's, but like, I, I can be a really oh, yeah. person like, yeah. man, she just, I'm like, like, I feel like I was just watching Gandhi in that moment. <laughs> How did you keep your composure in that conversation for the well, 38th time in that moment? Like, it's incredible. So it also speaks to the value of building people with opposing strengths and opposing personalities. Yeah. Cause like, you're going to, you're going to be very resonant and communicate with one type of athlete. Who's also high energy, who also gets jazzed up. Whereas Ashley's probably going to communicate with someone who's a little more introverted. And like, if you come at them with your energy, it's going to be like, ah, it's just like curl up yeah. in a shell, you know, and having a, and having a social awareness to know that, yeah, this isn't helping this person right now. Right? <laughs> I gotta go first year. I'm gonna go be crazy over here because they're loving this. Yeah, yeah, you gotta know that. Yeah, yeah. man. Um, this is dope. I mean, I don't want to keep it more than an hour, and I got stuff to do. But I guess we'll just end it with you know what's what's exciting, what's to come. I mean, not to stamp the episode, but we're in the middle of the season right now. So what's what's exciting for you in the short term, and then also like the long view of, of Alabama and your role. Well, short term, we're heading to regionals uh, in a couple of days. So can't that's, wait to watch. Uh, can't wait to watch. Um, yeah, and um. And that's, that's exciting. I, I don't know, like short term or long term for me is the same thing. I, I'm wrapping, I guess, out my first recruiting year. Mm. Um, and, you know, so I'm looking forward to like identifying and, and being a part of, not that we didn't do a lot of recruiting when I first got here. I just, I, I haven't even finished a full year being part of the yeah. program. So I'm looking yeah. forward to wrapping that. I think there's a learning lesson around every corner because yeah. um, there are subtle differences to, to, to this job than there was from being the head of a men's program mm. um, in the big 10. Right. And so yeah. um but the long term is, I, I don't know. I really believe in what we're doing here. Um, I thought about how to answer this question because I love, I, I, I didn't know that I would love coaching women's gymnastics as much as I do. Mm. Um, and I think a little bit of is like, I, I think that I've always loved the connection uh, around being a part of a team. Like I chose to go to Illinois when I was a recruit, top recruit, purely because the team looked like it was the closest. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's a big difference is, um, it's funny. I was just talking to Ashley about this beforehand. I'm like, how do I convey this mm. without being like my old team was a bunch of jerks and they're not like, I had great connection with my guys. I miss them tremendously. Yeah. It's just different with this yeah. woman's team. Um, and I think that it's there. They just, we, you connect on a, on a, on a different level. Um, mm. and I really feel like I'm making a difference in that capacity. Um, and, I just feel like they, women, a lot of them didn't go to normal high schools. And so I think mm. that they look at their sport as the place where they get their sure. connection and, sure. and kind of love for the sport and love, you know, like in relationships. Um, 
and that's always been such a huge piece for me in my life. And so I just look forward to continuing having that. Like I, I love our staff. Gina's a big, huge pillar to this thing too. And, um, and uh, I don't know. I just, yeah. that was, that was very general, but I just, I don't know. It hits the nail on the head, man. There's something electric about when you're truly with a group of people who are close in pursuit of the same goal. You know what I mean? Like I felt that way at Springfield D three school, no scholarships going around, you know, no, no special treatment. It's just like us and 20 other guys working our face off to try to be good, you know? And that's like, it's cool to have people who are on the books in club. You're, you know, I was like one of three tens and the like next one down was like 12 years old. It's like, it's not the same, you know, when you have 20 people who are all the same and they're better than you, you know what I mean? Like that was crazy too. It was like, they're all better than me on certain things. Like, damn, I got some work to do here. It kind of fires you up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I love the stuff you're putting out too. Like again, when we started working landing mechanics and stuff like that and wait, like, people need to break the science down. It, they need to see it. Like, you know, this concept yeah. of like, you, how do you get stronger if you're not adding weight? Right. Yeah. Like um, this belief that weights gets you injured. I'm like, this yeah. is crazy. So I just yeah. keep doing what you're doing. I'm, 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 I believe in science and I believe that your, your approach is, is helping us be develop better, stronger, healthier athletes. So I, I just, um, I love it. Keep doing it. Thanks, man. Um, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky. I'm very grateful. I work hard, but also like I got the right time at the right moment where people care. And so if I can help people, why not? You know, I'll, I'll yeah. keep chugging away. We got right, Jimmy, I wish you, I wish you the best of luck, right? It's going to be a great to watch it in the season. And I'm excited for the next, you know, whatever years, billion years to come for you in the BAM program. Thanks, Dave. Take care. Yeah. See you. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests do you want to have on in the future? And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like, because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful. And that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.